1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 14. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to, the, said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Amalek, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has cer certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. So David and his men, about six hundred arose, and departed from Keilah, and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah. So he halted the expedition. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of, of, of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. We've been, the last couple of weeks, referring from time to time to difficult circumstances that we as a congregation have gone through. The passing of Gary, which was difficult for all of us, and, and now the passing of Sue's brother. But you may have remembered that last Shabbat I mentioned the fact that God's redemptive hand was at work in the midst of the very difficult circumstances. If you recall, the middle son asked that we pray that brothers would dwell together in unity because they, there had been some frayed relationships between the, between the brothers, and we prayed. And the amazing thing was that God brought the, two of the, the three of them together, particularly the older and the middle son. And so the conviction that we've come away from is simply that when... You have, when we have a strong sense of God's sovereign control in the world, His sovereign rule, that you view life from a different set of circumstances. You view life 
in the circumstances through a different pair of lenses because you look to see what God is doing redemptively in any and all situations. Can you say amen to that? So that's what we've been endeavoring to do. You know, the truth is, when tough times come, the Lord knows how we are wired. And at least speaking for myself, it is so easy to kvetch, you know, to complain and say, Lord, what is going on here? Why are you doing this, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I've had, <coughs> let me back up for a minute. You know, God is faithful to give us graduate level instruction in seeing his work in difficult circumstances. So I've been struggling with back pain the last few weeks, and this is particularly uh, notice, noticeable, noticeable, excuse me, for me um, after I've been teaching or preaching. So if you see me making faces, it's not because there's something wrong with your face. And so this, uh, yesterday actually, um, I went to the chiropractor and uh, I was having a little conversation with God. And you know how it is when you argue with God, you know who loses the argument. <laughs> so I was having an argument before I, I came and as Dr. Friedman was working on me, a light bulb went on in his mind and also in my mind. Because we started talking about all sorts of things that had nothing to do with back pain. You know, part of what's been going on through this um, physical therapy is that Dr. Friedman and I have been talking about what Messianic Judaism is all about, what it means to be a Messianic Jew. I had given him an article that I had written about redemption of the wounds of the Holocaust, <clears throat> and he's been reading it. And so as I left, I got a basic sense from God. I don't often get that. I don't get that all the time. But in this case, it was wonderful. I sensed the Lord was saying, I'm going to take care of your healing. I'm going to take care of you and your business. You take care of my business. So I simply said, Lord, would you please bring Dr. David Friedman to know you? Even if it means, God forbid, a few more visits because of back pain. And so I want to pause for a minute as, as we just ask the Lord to speak to us. Because this is a real challenge, folks. The truth is we all go through difficult circumstances. I don't believe there's a single person here who has gone through life surrounded by a bubble and have had no difficulties come against them. So we always want to see God's hand. So let's pause for a minute. Lord God, we thank you and we praise your name that you are greater than circumstances. You're greater than our weakness. You're greater than our sin. You're greater than the 
strategies of evil. And Lord God, we desire simply to see your hand at work. We desire, Lord God, to rejoice in what you're doing in and through the good times, in and through the difficult times. And we simply pray, Lord, would you please open our eyes that we would see, Lord, what you are doing, that we would cooperate, that we would be part of your redemptive work in our life and through us in this world, Lord. We praise you, Lord, and we bless you for your power. We thank you, Lord God, for your chesed, your covenant committed loyal love. In the name of Yeshua, we pray that you would speak to us this morning as we look into your word. In the name of Yeshua, amen. The last few weeks, we've been looking at priesthood, what it means to be priests in this culture. Both the fact that God calls us to represent people to him in a sense of being intercessors, being people who pray for the needs of others. And also, secondly, God's call for us to represent him to people. This is particularly a strong conviction for us at Yeshua Tzion. And it's a struggle because we all tend to be inward rather than outward. And uh, last Shabbat, Mike Mahoney addressed the issue or the challenge for us to be outwardly focused and to remember that God calls on us to impact our society. And a major part of that, of course, is our need to be one because that's what the Lord calls us to do is to be one, to love one another even when, when we are not particularly lovely or lovable. God still calls us to love one another because by that means, Yeshua tells us that the world will know that we are His by the fact that we have love one for another. By the way, of course, this does not mean for us to be a mutual admiration society. And um, tell everybody how cute and clever we are, but simply to learn to support one another and to serve together. Remembering that yes, the Lord loves us. Yes, the Lord has wonderful plans for us as unique individuals, and yet at the same time, he calls on us to remember that he wants his kingdom to expand outwardly. And if we really understand who God is, we will share his heart of love, not only for us, but for for those who are out there who don't as yet know him. Part of what we've been doing is looking at the different elements of the priestly garb because it represents to the priest and to the people who God was. And it's hard for us to come to terms 
when we think about all the practicalities, you know, the, the threads, the gold threads and, and the purple threads and, and uh, the stones and so on, we get lost in the, in, the, in the trees. We forget what the forest is all about. And the truth is that along with the multitude of details that God had given Moses to give um, Aholiab and Bezalel and Aholiab and the rest of the people of Israel, the big message was the presence of God, folks. The big message was the presence of God in and among his people. And by the way, there's a phrase at the end of Exodus chapter 40 where it speaks about Moses finishing the work And if you rewind the tapes and go back all the way back to the creation account in Genesis chapter 2, you'll see that exactly the same language is used. The message simply means what God was doing here at the very beginning to create a universe, to create a people, and to dwell with those people, he was doing with the nation of Israel in the tabernacle as he is doing today at work to create a people for himself and something that will be finished when we see him at the end of time. So when Aaron was ministering, as, as the priest was ministering in the tabernacle, then the temple, he had to get the fact that it wasn't about him. Yes, he had discrete tasks that he had to do. He had to light the lamp. He had to... Um, change the loaves of the presence of God, uh, what the King James describes as, as the table of the shoe bread. Um, just means, the lechem apani means the, the bread of the face of God, the presence of God. It was all about the presence of God, folks. And as Aaron was doing his work, I have no doubt that he stood in the presence of God overwhelmed by the fact that God would admit him into this holy of holies. Part of what we had seen was the fact that Aaron had the set of garments, one of which was the ephod. And let me just explain that for us, we we don't really understand what is this ephod business. I mean, you have a number of possible theories, and when we talked about the garments, we looked at, at a couple of basic theories. But what we have to remember is that God really didn't have to explain to the people of Israel what an ephod was, because everybody knew what an ephod was. You and I don't. We have semi-intelligent guesses ba- based on what we see in the Word of God. But what we have to remember is simply that nephod was a garment that was used for ritual, religious rituals. It was used by the pagans in their worship. Um, we also see that Samuel, as a boy, uh, wore an ephod, simply a garment that he used to minister before God. And I want to take us, give us another take of the ephod that Aaron, the priest, wore. So... If we can, right behind me. Okay, let's take a moment and just remind you. 
This is the rabbinic version. Uh, the ephod is the multicolored garment that sort of looks like a woman's riding um, skirt, in a sense. It goes all the way back, and it's tied at the shoulders by means of the straps that have two onyx stones. I don't know if you, you all can see that. And the onyx stones had the names of the tribes of Israel engraved upon them. Then here in this vest, which is called the Choshen, breastplate, um, you also had a number of 12 stones that also represented the tribes of Israel. And the language is very clear, very emphatic, that these stones were not just there because Aaron needed some stones on his garments. <laughs> but rather, Scripture says very emphatically that he was to bear the tribes of Israel before the presence of God as a reminder. This is part of the intercessory role of the priest where he would say, God, do you remember those cantankerous bunch? Uh, would you please be merciful to us? And also these stones here on the, uh, on the uh, choshen, the breastplate was described as being over his heart when he went to minister before the Lord. Again, think of the language. It's very, very expressive. Having the people of Israel over his heart and over his shoulder meant that he carried them he carried them when he came in to minister before the Lord. Now, as best as we can understand, tucked behind this vest was a pouch that had a couple of items called the Urim and Tumim, Urim and Tumim. <clears throat> and of course, because we don't have explicit detail about the Urim and Tumim, that's why we have a multitude of theories. Everybody rushes in to explain what Scripture doesn't explain. Uh, Urim and Tumim were possibly some kind of lots, dice. We're really not sure exactly what they looked like. Um, and they were used as part of God conveying explanation or discernment or direction for the people of Israel. Thanks, James. Now, now you say, this is very bizarre. Why would God, can I have the lights? Why would God use what looked like lots, dice, or whatever else they were, to convey direction to the people of Israel? Well, by the way, in case you forget, that was something that was very common back in those days. And remember, folks, that God will use whatever He needs to, whatever we're familiar with, in order to get through to us. In other words, if we have a cell phone, God will use our cell phone. If we have Facebook, God will get through to us using the Facebook. And if back then, if Urim and Tumim was what you knew, well, God will use the Urim and Tumim. By the way, the lots were used by the early followers of Yeshua in Acts chapter 1, in case you may remember that they needed to replace Judas 
with another disciple, they cast lots. And they determined by lots that Matthias was to be the next, the next disciple. So, you know, you can uh, get wrapped around the axle and get bent out of shape by that or say, you know, God is able to convey to us the information he needs. Aaron, the priest, was to do that. It was part of his God-given responsibility. He was to hear from God. He was to convey the word of God to the people. And again, in that sense, folks, you and I are very much in the same kind of role because God has called us to hear from him and then to convey his word to our culture and the people around us. I know it's hard to envision, to think of yourself as a priest. But that's the role God has called us to be. And uh, why do we find it difficult? Well, we find it difficult because life gets in the way. You know what I'm saying? We get preoccupied with life, stresses at work, stresses from family, stresses from health, one thing or another, and we tune in to our God-given assignment to serve Him in this culture, to serve Him with people around us, to serve Him in our mishpacha, in our congregation, and also outwardly, because we are preoccupied and we don't take our God-given responsibility very seriously. Now, David... We often think about David in one of two ways. We either think of David and Bathsheba or else hopefully we remember that David was Israel's songwriter. And he is the one who established Israel's worship system. And really more to the point, David, David's heart beat in sync with God's heart. In other words, what God loved, David loved. What God hated, David hated. And he understood the fact that God had given him an assignment. And what you see here in these chapters is such a clear contrast between David and Saul. David seems to get it. He seems to do what he's supposed to and Saul does the exact opposite. Both of them, by the way, have been anointed by God to serve him. Anointed in a sense of having the oil poured upon them and them being set apart to do God's work. David gets it. Here, in the beginning of the chapter, he finds out that the Philistines are about to attack a city called Keilah. And Keilah was a, a town in the foothills of the uh, Judean hills. You know, the, that section of Israel geographically connects with the coastal plain, very fertile area agriculturally. And by the way, Keilah um, was very close to the Philistine territory to what we now know as the Gaza Strip. The attack coming from that area have not ceased, have they? 
David finds out that the Philistines are coming. And by the way, typically they came at harvest time. You know, just as you're busy preparing to harvest, you're preoccupied, that's when the enemy comes. You see a number of examples of that. For instance, with Gideon, when Israel begins to harvest, that's when everybody comes to attack them, to grab and rob them from what, what they had prepared. David finds out, and he doesn't say, forget this, who needs this? You know, I'm being chased within an inch of my life by my father-in-law, Saul, who wants to kill me, who is sending assassination squads after me. And furthermore, I have 600 men, women, and children to be concerned for. Why should I bother about Keilah, this city over here? I need to take care of myself, my issues. I have my own troubles. Why should I bother? David takes a different perspective. He says, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. So he's concerned to fulfill his God-given assignment as someone who has been set apart by God to be the ruler of, the, of his people Israel. He takes it seriously, even at a time when he himself is struggling. He is responsive to, to God's assignment and instinctively he says to God, shall I go and attack these Philistines? He doesn't sit and strategize. He first of all comes to the Lord and says, shall I go and attack? And by the way, his heart was very much in sync with God's heart on this issue of the Philistines because the Philistines had been harassing Israel for about 150 years at this point. And God's assignment to Saul was to take care of the Philistines. And at this point, Saul isn't interested in fulfilling his God-given assignment. Saul is interested in, in his agenda, demonically inspired jealousy of David, and a total disregard for God's mandate. That's Saul. David, on the other hand, despite the extreme difficulty of being chased from pillar to post, he is wanting to view reality from God's perspective. Again, that shows that he was a man after God's own heart. And in case you tend to focus on David and Bathsheba, remember that David was the gold standard for the kings of Israel. When you see the, the description of a particular king who had just died, what it says so-and-so lived life like his father David in following the Lord, or so-and-so did not follow his father David in, in following the Lord. David understood that despite struggles, despite issues, you want to focus on God's business. Because as you focus on God's business, He will take care of your business. You say amen to that. That's what Yeshua tells us. Do not worry saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? What should our hair look like? 
For the pagans, those who are not followers of the Lord, who, who don't know him, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And yes, folks, faith is a struggle. Okay, let's be real here. Faith is a struggle. None of us have a faith that is 100% trusting in God 100% of the time. None of us go in a straight linear line without any back and forth. We all do two steps forward, one step back, etc., etc. You know the drill. You see that even with Father Abraham, who was the giant of the faith, even he had those moments where his faith was wobbly. But at some point, as we, as we struggle through, through issues, we somehow connect with the heart of God, and the Lord speaks to us and says, I've got it covered. Amen. Hello, I've got it covered. Amen. And furthermore, I've got it covered. <laughs> and we have one or two options here. We can either say, God, respectfully, um, you really don't have things covered. So therefore, I have to, to fuss and, and, and fight and fume and get on a stick and fix the problem. That's option, actually option Z. <laughs> or option A is to say, God, uh, I don't know what it's going to look like. And yes, I'm struggling, and yes, I'm having a hard time. But yes, I know that you have things covered. Amen. And because of that, we say, okay, God, you have things covered. Therefore, you're going to take care of my business. Now, how do I take care of your business? What does that look like? And that's where we break our teeth in lots of instances because we're convinced that we have to figure out what God wants us to do. You know, we have to sit and, and agonize and get ourselves into a pretzel lotus position in order to figure out what God wants us to do. And having been a believer long before I had gray hairs, I can tell you that folks really agonize over this, as I have. And at some point... I had one of these aha moments where God says, Hello, I created you. I wired you. I know what your circuits look like. I can speak to you. Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. I mean... You can't get much more definitive than that. God wired you. He knows how to get a hold of you, whether by Urim and Tumim or by Facebook. Or God will speak to you through a donkey if he has to. Why? He is more committed to you and I knowing his will than we are. Amen. Think about it. If you're a parent um, and going through a second cycle of this with 
our dear eight-year-old grandson, Isaiah, do, do you sit and strategize with your, with your child and express your angst and your confusion and your lack of clarity and give them uh, of a um, uh, smorgasbord of possible options from which to choose? Or do you say, do it, do it now, and here's what it's supposed to look like. Why? Because you want your child to understand what you, what you want them to do, what they need to do. Why would God be any different with us? Why would God give us these amazingly complicated, sophisticated, arcane, highly spiritual instruction instead of getting through to us? I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you shall go. I will counsel you and watch over you with my eye. This is Psalm 32, a couple of Hebrew words there. I will instruct you. Sachal has to often means to have prudence that leads to success. God says to Joshua, if you read the book, and follow it, you will have success. Not success in Donald Trump kind of a way, but success in doing what I've called you to do. And blessing. Sachal. The other word is for teach, of course, is yara, from which we get the word Torah. Very personal kind of interaction between God and us. Because he is invested and very eager to reveal his will to us so that we can hear and obey. Pretty simple, folks. This is meat and potatoes. This is not escargot. I know that's not kosher. But scripture is so full of instruction, so full of these statements that are no-brainers about the fact that God wants to communicate to us. Here are a couple of my favorites. Good and upright is the Lord. That's who He is. Therefore, because He is, up, he is upright, He is not crooked or capricious, therefore He instructs sinners in His ways. This is who he is. That's, what, that's how, how he does. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them in his way. Psalm 25, 8 and 9. Then in, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. You say, wow. Hebrew there literally is the secret of the Lord belongs to those who fear and reverence him. Can you see yourself in that position as someone who, to whom God reveals his perspective and his plans and his reality? That's what Scripture says, both from the Torah to Yeshua's teaching in John. In the Torah, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us. Why? So that we sit and strategize and 
draw maps, etc. No, so that we can follow and obey. Then Yeshua said to the disciples, You're no longer, I, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends because I reveal to you what the Father tells me. And we look at that and we say, Nah, you've got to be kidding. Me? No, God will talk to the real spiritual folks. You know, the, the folks who always say, well, God told me, God told me, God told me, God told me, God told me some more. And you say, uh. <laughs> The truth is, God's heart, folks, is to convey His will and His directives to us so that we can follow and do what He tells us to do. Amen. Real simple. And yes, sometimes you have a sense that you think is from God and you're not sure if it is from God because it's kind of out there. And you say, well, is this God or is this last night's pizza? And you kind of see that a little bit with David here because he has a sense of discernment that God is saying, go and attack the Philistines. But then he has a problem. He has 600 men who are saying to him, David, you're nuts. We know who the Philistines are. They are they're very uh, equipped and skilled and valiant uh, warriors. They've been oppressing us for 150 years, and we're being chased by Saul, and you want us to do what? They're afraid. Again, remember, folks, that fear is always connected to unbelief and lack of willingness to trust God or to the converse is faith is the antidote to unbelief and fear if you trust God you're not going to be quaking your boots if you're quaking your boots you're not going to be trusting God David says Lord he comes back to the Lord and says Lord uh, respectfully um did I hear you correctly? And the Lord doesn't rebuke him. The Lord doesn't say, what's the matter with you, idiot? Remember in James chapter 1, Scripture says, if you lack wisdom, you ask of God, and God will give you wisdom liberally. He will pour it on you and tell you what to do and not rebuke you. So David comes back and says, Lord, I'm having a problem here. My men are afraid. How can I lead them? And the Lord says, get up, go down, and here's the clincher. For I will give the Philistines into your hand. Very strong statement. Whenever you see that kind of statement, you know that as far as God is concerned, that's already a done deal. You know, God spoke to Joshua and said, I have given you Every step where you go, I'm giving it to you. I have already given it to you. In, in my scheme of things, it's already taken care of. So, you, yes, you need to go. Yes, you need to pursue the assignment I'm giving you to take care of my people at Keilah and deliver them as my agent 
By the way, deliver here is small d, or sort of a small m for Messiah. Do the job I've given you. I have anointed you. I've called you to rule over my people. And yes, you're being chased. And yes, you're being harassed by Saul. But I've given you an assignment. I want you to do it. Go. Do it. In confidence, in faith, that I'm taking care of it. And no, you're not going to walk in and, and, and everybody will fall like a bunch of dominoes. Yes, you need to do your job. And David does that. They fight. And by the way, we're not really sure exactly where they were on the map of Israel. We see in the earlier chapter that they were in a forest. Most likely, they had a day or two days worth of marching from where they were to this place called Keilah. There was effort involved. Serving God involves work, folks. The Hebrew word for serving and worshiping avodah has the sense of work. They had to march, they had to fight. But God prospered them. Why? Because it was his assignment, folks. And when God gives us an assignment and we understand it, we get it, we follow it in it, then we have authority from God to carry out what he gives us to do. Authority, by the way, means delegated power to accomplish what God has given us to do. And by the way, here in the beginning portion of 23, we don't see anything about the Urim and Tumim because the high priest of Yatar, the son of the high priest, wasn't even there. How did God talk to him? Um, we see that there was one or two prophets, Nathan and God, who kind of hung around with David. Remember that David had a relationship with God. God could have quite easily talked to him somehow. Audibly, non-audibly, in his, in his heart, in his spirit, etc. David needed more discernment. And folks, the, the, the precious thing about this is that when we sense God's leading, God's assignment to do something that it seems to be out there, seems to be odd, the Lord doesn't condemn us when we say, Lord, uh, I'm confused. What is this all about? Would you please clarify it? Would you please confirm it? I want to do your will. I need direction. I need wisdom. The Lord is faithful to do that. This certainly was not a piece of cake because he is done doing a good deed and you, you've heard the sarcastic comment that no good deed goes unpunished. And uh, David is done delivering the, the people from uh, the people of Keilah and... Uh, Saul hears about it. And he wants to come down on David like a ton of bricks. Because his attitude is, I've got you where I want you. You know, you are right there where I can attack you. 
Again, David doesn't freak out. I mean, we don't have a complete video of his emotional state from the time he hears about it. He apparently had good intelligence. We can't really say that there, was, that there wasn't a time when his heart was beating fast and his palms were, were sweaty, but his basic attitude is, okay, God, what are your directives? And in this case, he invites Aviatar, the priest, to inquire of God, probably with Orem and Tumim. And, and this is, I find this uh, instructive. Verse 10, he says uh, to, to God, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come and destroy the city on my account. Will the, the men of Keilah sur- surrender me into his hands? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. In Hebrew, it's very, very terse, very, very brief. Yered. He will come down. And David isn't sure he's getting the whole picture. And he once again says, Lord... Will these wonderful rascals over here turn on me? And God says, yes, they will. It's kind of part of life, isn't it? You sometimes do good things for people. And sometimes they are very grateful. Sometimes they they are not grateful. Here, God's revelation is very brief. Apparently, the Lord felt that, David, you really did not need a whole Megillah here. You asked a specific question. I'll give you a specific answer. Again, God works with the systems that we have, that we are familiar with. But we just need to remember that God may choose to surprise you. God may choose to speak to you in ways that he has never done before. Because he is creative, he is a creator. And yes, he can handle your request for confirmation. As long as you're willing to trust God. And yes, the Lord knows that we all struggle. You know, you've got the famous story of Gideon, you also have the story of Yeshua. In the garden, struggling to do, to do the Father's will. Father, is this really what you want me to do? And if the Lord, if Yeshua here on earth did that, I, th- I, I believe we're in good company to ask the Lord for confirmation. And the Lord is merciful and faithful. And he will tell us. Huge contrast between David, who has a heart for God, and Saul. By the way, Saul here proceeds presumptuously. Uh, I will do what I want to do, and I know that God will bless me. Have you heard folks doing that? Like, Lord, um, I believe what I'm doing is a good thing, and would you please sprinkle some pixie dust? 
Saul is chasing David. And he said, God has handed him over to me. You want to say to Saul, and you know that because? And scripture is very emphatic at the end of the section that Tracy read to us. God did not give David into Saul's hands. So what does all of this look like? It, folks, it, it goes back to our having a clear conviction of the fact that we don't belong to ourselves. that when we said to the Lord, yes, Lord, when we signed on the dotted line, we said, come into our life, be my, be my master. At that point, we had given control to him. Amen. Do you realize that the control of your life belongs to God, not to you? That God has an assignment for you? Our congregation, a major part of our congregational assignment is preparing the way for God's people to hear about him. Yeshua's physical brothers, Isaiah 57, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. God has given us a passion to see to it that Yeshua's good news will be communicated to his people. And we long for the day when the nation of Israel will say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And yes, we are very much aware of the fact that God's word has to go out to all peoples. But pleased that God has raised up Mike and Lynn to convey his word to the Laotian folks because they need to hear. The word of God will come forth from Zion. It will spread outward. So what is your part? How do you fit in all of this? begins with a simple willingness to say, Hineni, here I am. Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. Just show me. Speak to me. Lead me in the way in which I should go. Change my heart where my heart is, is stony. And when I'm saying to you, Lord, I kind of sort of want to do it, but in a sense, I really don't want to do it. So make me 100%. Amen. 100%. And then watch God do it. And part of a practical example for us is the outreach team that God has been raising here in the last couple of years. Gives me great joy to see what God is doing. A few weeks ago, Linda talked about the March of Remembrance at Babiar Park. And you may know that the Maizel Museum of Judaica is, is collaborating. They don't know that, that these uh, messianic types are behind all of this yet. But you know, when you make a commitment to follow God, all hell will break loose sometimes. You know, you make a, a choice to follow God and boom, everything 
blows up and you say, God, did I hear you? And he reassures us that he wants us not only to persevere, but he wants us to press forward. He has work for us to do. Again, I want to remind you to put the March of Remembrance, which is April 22nd on your calendar. And this Sunday, Linda and a number of other folks will be taking a walk through Babiar Park. I want to encourage you to come and listen and be prepared for what God has for you to do. And stretch in faith to hear from God, stretch in faith to do what He's called you to do and receive the blessing He has for you. Hallelujah. Lord God, we praise you that you know us intimately. You understand us when we are obedient, when we're disobedient, when we are discerning, when we're clueless. Thank you, Lord, that you're greater than that, that you transcend all of that, that you're bigger than our weaknesses. And Lord God, we want to follow you. Would you please stand? And we're going to be taking some time to worship the Lord. And as we do, I just want to encourage you just to have dialogue with, with the Lord and say, Lord, Hineni, here I am. I'm willing. Maybe not wildly eager, but I'm willing. Would you please speak to me? And give me the measure of faith that I need to trust you, that your gifts and calling and assignment that you have set apart for me and through me will be accomplished. Lord God, we trust you that you rule, we praise you that you rule over all, Lord. That you are sovereign over our life. That you have plans for good and not for evil for each of us and for us as a mishpacha, as a congregation. Lord God, give us the boldness, the courage in your spirit. Stir us, Lord God, to do your will. To accomplish the purposes you have laid out for us. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen.